0: Good morning, and Happy New Year. I, I hope that you all had a really memorable time or a really warm time with family, with friends, enjoying the Christmas time. And, and mine was really quite outstanding. In fact, I, I titled it. I called it The Six Weeks of Christmas. It goes comes something like this, uh, three weeks of head cold, <laughs> two weeks of chest cold, and a week of pneumonia. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I hope yours was a bit more of a highlight than mine. But no, it was still good. We had a quiet Christmas and, and really enjoyed it. And uh, as I was thinking a couple of weeks ago of, of preaching today, and I, I just sat down and I thought, you know, I'd like to just talk and share some like highlights of the year that's gone by. And, and as I started writing and I, I just started thinking back and, and putting notes down and I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to take it half an hour just to walk through all of this, but the last song that we just sang all my life, all last year, you've been faithful, God. You know, and that's something that I just saw as I, was, as I was just looking through that list. There's been so many good things. There's been some challenges and rocky spaces along the way as well, but it's been a, it's been a year and a half of transition, and, and uh, and a year and a half that's behind us. But we're, we're just getting ready now as well for another transition. And, and uh, our new lead pastor, Andrew McGregor, is going to be starting his position here on the 16th of uh, January. And so his first Sunday with us is going to be January 22nd. And then we're actually going to have, on the 29th, is going to be a kind of a big one-service celebration <coughs> Uh, kind of his ministry launch week as uh, as we celebrate together uh, with Andrew and the start of his ministry. But this morning, I thought, I'd, I'd like to just, it's not lighthearted, but I, I want to just, looking at one of Paul's pieces of a letter that he wrote to the church of Ephesians, I want to just kind of give us some encouragement as we look at the year ahead, the road ahead. And I remember when when Adeline and I moved to Fort St. John in 2002, shortly afterwards in the winter, I, I was asked if I could go and speak at a Bible camp, Camp Sangatawa. And it's a couple of hours away. It's, you have to drive along, it's called the Hudson Hope Highway, and it, it travels along the, the Peace River from uh, Fort St. John to Hudson Hope. And uh, so I left on Friday night, and it's winter, and it was dark outside. and. It was an interesting trip. You know, there's a lot of twists and turns and a couple of hair turn bends. And, and, and I arrived there. I spoke. And then on Sunday afternoon after the, uh, the conference was done, I got in my car and I, I drove back home to, to uh, Fort St. John. And then driving through the daytime, it was amazing. Like that drive is rated as one of the top three drives. In Canada, and if you've never been down the Hudson Hope Highway, you, you, you'd uh, you'd enjoy doing it. But what what a difference at nighttime! I got there, but in the daytime, and it was everything was covered with frost. It's just an incredible, beautiful river valley drive. And I was thinking, you know, it's kind of like our lives. We can go through life and we can make it through and we can survive the days and and we can get from one year to another and and, kind of just go through it as a grind. Or we can really take time, we can really absorb what Jesus has for us, absorb what the Spirit wants to teach us and walk that time really seeing and knowing and experiencing what God's got for us. And that's this morning, I want to take a look at Ephesians chapter 1 through, sorry, 15 through 23. And uh, I just called it uh, Paul's Prayer of Thanksgiving. And uh, he starts off by saying this, he says, ever since, sorry, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. The big theme in Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that through Christ, God has brought together Jews and Gentiles into the kingdom. He has brought together men and women in completely new ways. He's brought together different nationalities, slaves and free people, people from all peoples across the world. And he's brought them together into one people, into God's house, into God's people. In Ephesians chapter 2, he writes this. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the first thing I want to just touch on, as Paul said, as I'm praying and giving thanks, I give thanks for your faith in Christ. And in his analogy of the house above, he emphasizes that we are a house and it's built on and around Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says, And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Jesus, in John chapter 15, just shortly before he went to the cross, He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. The city of Ephesus was the center of the temple goddess Artemis. It was also a city that was flourishing with silversmiths and tradesmen making idols for that religion. It was also a center of commerce and of trade. It was a city of influence and power and wealth. But you know what? The most driving force in the area was the Roman demand for emperor worship. Rome demanded allegiance to the emperor above everything else. And so this little church in the city of Ephesus, believers at that time, you did not blend in Building and growing a church was challenging and sometimes dangerous. You know, today, we here in North America don't live with that kind of danger, although I was listening to some statistics about Christians being persecuted in our world. And this year was the highest number of of Christians in one year in, in in. modern recorded history, eight, over 8,000 Christians who are martyred for their, for their faith. <coughs> so it's real, but we don't have that kind of, of, of risk and that kind of danger. But we do live in a post-Christian society today that is on a moral decline and it's in decay. Truth is no longer considered constant. It's relative and it's up to people's interpretation. The lines between truth and darkness are becoming more clearly drawn. The temptation to slide along with the world around us continues to become greater and greater. But Jesus calls us to something far more secure. He calls us to himself. Jesus invites us to become deeply embedded in him. Believing and following him, walking and living through faith in him. He won't he won't settle for being an aside or something extra. He'll only settle for being in the center. And so Paul says to the church, You've done a great job. You're walking in faith. And then he expresses his gratitude for the love that he saw in the Ephesian church. Jesus, again, he said to his disciples shortly before he went to the cross. You know, back in, in that time, in the Jewish culture, in the religious of Judaism, they had not only the Ten Commandments, but they had actually another couple of hundred. They had, it actually had 614 laws that one had to keep Very fastidiously, if you are going to be considered to be right and holy. Jesus took all of that, and he just kind of wiped it out, moved it all off to the side, and he said, guys, a new commandment I'm going to give to you today. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. (coughs) Paul expressed it too. He said it this way, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Like he didn't say, guys, this is one of the really cool, important things. No, he said, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Andy Stanley writes that our vertical relationship with Jesus always needs to have a horizontal expression, a horizontal relationship with others, and he calls it the you next to you, that we all need to recognize that God loves the person next to us just as much as he loves us. And God loves a person outside of our church that he wants in the kingdom just as much as us. He wants us to love the you next to you. I do have one, but thank you so much. (laughs) I can drink with both hands now. Jesus, the last night, demonstrated love. Took a towel, he wrapped it around his waist, he bent down, and then he washed his disciples' feet. It was the most menial task for the lowest servant in a house, and that was what Jesus chose to do, to demonstrate what love is. And then he got up, put the towel away, and he said, Guys, Now I want you to do this for each other. And in one of his last prayers on earth, Jesus prayed. He said, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they all be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me, that they all may be one. What will people see when they see us and our relationships? And Paul in, in the text shifts his, his hopes or shifts, shifts, shifts his comments to his hopes for the church. The late newspaper publisher William Randolph Hearst was a man of incredible wealth and power and at his peak, he owned 18 major newspapers across the world He was an avid art collector, and he invested a fortune collecting art treasures from all around the world. And one day, as he was reading a description of some valuable items, he just felt that he had to own them. So he sent his purchasing agent abroad to see if he could find them, and after months of searching, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasures. They were in Mr. Hurst's warehouse. He'd been searching frantically for treasures he already owned. Just didn't know it. We're meant to experience what Jesus called life to the full. And Paul encourages us and says, don't settle for anything less. And he says, God wants us to know him. And he wants us to know what he has in store for us. So in verse 17, Paul says, (coughs) I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Rob Bremer in his book, Spiritual Authority, writes that God's intention for every believer is that we discover the spiritual freedom and the spiritual authority that are available to us. And they're available to us by being, he says, by being rooted in our identity in Jesus and expanding that identity through intimacy in time with our Father. And then it's activated by faith. You see, God really cares about us deeply. And he actually wants us to know him. You know, I, I used to lead the Alpha course back in in Fort Saint John in the last church where I served. I loved that course, and and one it was a beginner course on the Christian faith, and we run that course here as well. But there was always one question, and I loved that session. And the session was called: "Is there more? Is there more?" God wants us to know that there's much, much more. But you know, some people accept Christ and they become discouraged or even abandon commitments that they have made. Some have been Christians for many years and think, well, I've arrived. I can just kind of coast now. Uh, Some continue to learn about him, but they don't develop a deeper relationship with him. So how can we get to know God deeply? Well, Paul says you can't do it in our own ability. But he says, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, enables us. In 1 Corinthians, there's a bit longer of a description. He says he says this, he says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except The man's spirit within him. And in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except God's spirit. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. Expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. Kent Hughes, a commentator, writes this. He says, we don't need more or better truth. We need our spiritual eyes opened to the truths that surround us. The more control that we give to the spirit, the more spiritual insights and blessings we'll receive. Spirit also teaches us through the Word. He helps us to understand God's Word fully and deeply. (laughs) In the Hearing God course that we do here, we'll actually be starting it on January the 10th. We, in that course, we learn that God actually wants to speak to us, and He does speak to us. He speaks to us through His written Word, and it is called the Logos. And if you look in the New Testament, The word is usually represented by either the word logos or another word, rhema. And so God speaks to us through his word. And every morning I sit down, I open up my scriptures, and I spend about 45 minutes reading and talking to God and asking him to speak to me. And there are some days that I ask him, you know, God, (laughs) here's, here's where I'm at, God, you know, I need something for today. And it's amazing that as I open his word, and I'm right now I'm just reading through the Gospel of Luke, and his word speaks to me. God also speaks to us uh, through his spoken word. It can be just uh, a thought that he puts into our mind, that the Spirit puts into our mind. It can be uh, some people hear from the Lord through visions or through dreams. Those are called rhema words. And that is God, actually the Holy Spirit, speaking outspoken words to us and then there's experiential knowledge and the spirit wants us to learn through our experience together with god reamer again writes he says there are no shortcuts to intimacy with god we will not know him deeply unless we take time to be with him not asking for things from him do you get that we need to take time and give time to God just to be with Him, not asking for things from Him, because He wants us to know more. And you know, the more that I get into that place of knowing that I'm in God's presence, it's overwhelming. And it makes me want more. And Paul moves on to, to encourage us to see God's purposes. Just got three things that he highlights. The first one is this, the the greatness of God's plan. And he says, we have this incredible hope and inheritance. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He wants us to know the hope that we have in Hebrews, the author writes, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Our hope is not based on an idea or an ideology. It's based in a person. and It is based on the completed work of Jesus on the cross and the absolute security of his promise of salvation to us. Last week, I was listening to an interview of a celebrity who's on the news quite regularly, and was asked about the end of life. And the individual said, When that day comes and you go up to the pearly gates and you're walking up the stairs and you see God in front of you and he asks you that question, <coughs> and I'll say, Did I do a good job? I hope he'll say, Yes, you did. Come on in. I thought, How sad. That's not hope. That's wishing. Wishing is not hope. Most people in our world have no hope, but we do. Because ours is in a person, and it's in a promise that's secure. And eventually, hope becomes eternity. And Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. John MacArthur writes, he said, it's, it, this truth is too magnificent for words to describe, which is why even God's own revelation requires the illumination of his spirit in order for believers even to understand the marvelous magnitude of the blessings of salvation that are in store for us friends we are only in the prequel to our lives the greatest chapter the greatest part of the story eternity is coming paul says i want you to know the greatness of god's power and we've got access he says <coughs> excuse me i'm apologize He says, I want you to know his incredibly great power for us who believe. And that power is like the working of his mighty strength that he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. There's four words in these sentences that are helpful to us for understanding the sheer magnitude of this word, power. The first word that Paul uses is dunamis, It's the root for our word dynamite, and it's the word for raw power. It carries the meaning of of sheer raw power or strength. One author says this power is not only for... Sorry, this power is only for Christians, for those who believe. Not only that, but it is all the power we are ever offered or could ever have the second word that Paul uses is, this, is the word energeia, or working, or energy. It's the energizing force of the Spirit empowering us, to enabling us to live our lives for the Lord. And the th- third word is kratos. And that word means strength. And then finally, he uses the word iskus. And that one is the word might. Here's the idea of transferred power or ability, God's power and ability transferred over to us. And it means real, effective power actually transfers through the Holy Spirit into our lives as believers to live effectively for God's glory. Friends, God has given us supernatural power, working, strength, might, and it's real. You know, many of us face times of doubt in our lives. We might face hurdles in life or even despair when we face difficulties, whether it's in our families or with our health, with finances, even with the events happening in our community, in our world around us. But we can overcome all of that because God has, through Christ, by the power of the Spirit, made it available to us. I know in November, we had uh, uh, a prayer, healing prayer time after our service, after Barry Schmidt had preached a sermon on healing. And I know that Jesus touched many people's lives through that prayer time. I know of one story, we would kind of gather stories together of God's stories, of one individual who had instantaneous miraculous healing right here on the floor as they were being prayed for. It's amazing. It's amazing seeing the power that Jesus has to free us from the presence of any kind of of demonic presence or powers that want to interfere with our lives. And in his authority, they have to just flee, they have to leave. We have access to the full power of God not only to cope and survive experiences in life but to experience freedom and healing and peace and joy. And then thirdly, Paul describes the greatness of Jesus, God's son. He describes Christ's unrivaled authority. He writes, he seated him God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. Paul moves from God's might to the authority of his son Jesus. When Jesus had completed his work on earth Christ returned to his former position of absolute authority and Christ's position, as Paul states, is far. It's not even above, but it is far above every other power or dominion or rule or authority, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And he placed everything under Jesus' feet. In Paul's time spiritual, supernatural beings and forces were thought of to have different levels and in the description of Christ's position Paul addresses every level of supernatural power clearly placing Christ so far above them as to be virtually incomparable to them. Friends, there is a cosmic supernatural war between God, his angelic hosts and between Satan and his demons. But and Satan has only one goal And that is our destruction. And he tries to thwart God's plan from the very beginning. And he's a constant enemy of the kingdom. But, but Christ, but Christ is completely and absolutely victorious and in authority over everything. And our Father wants us to know and to experience that there is amazing victory and freedom in Jesus. And then finally, Paul closes off by referring to the church, God's loved people. He says, and God placed him, Jesus, to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God has placed Jesus in the position of both being the head and the, or the source and also the very fullness of the church. He's completely over us and he's completely in us and with us. He's our supreme Lord and he is the supreme power. And Christ has chosen us. Christ has chosen us, his church, to display his incomparable glory and majesty. Jesus has chosen us as the body to complement his glory. Jesus' parting words to his disciples were these. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, and I'll add, with my authority and make disciples of all the earth. We're not an afterthought in God's plan. Friends, we as his church, we are God's plan. So as I close this morning, just a couple of questions and a couple of encouragements. Do you ever wonder where you fit or how you fit into the big picture or purpose of life? Do you ever ask yourself, do I really matter to God? Do you ever wonder, what difference can one church make? Friends, the kingdom... Of heaven is here his name is Jesus as we look forward this year as we look ahead to this year number one let's stick to Jesus in faith every day and secondly let's love deeply no matter what to the you next to you whomever Jesus chooses That person or those people to be. And let's be encouraged. God's provided us with absolute security in who we are in Christ and the hope of our glory in store for us. Our Father God wants to know us, and He wants us to know Him and His purposes deeply. And most importantly, God has given us His Son absolutely supreme, absolutely faithful for each and every one of us and in us and through us, His church. Friends, the new year looks bright. Amen. As as we close this morning, as we do each Sunday, we have opportunity Uh, for prayer at the front and uh, if there's anything that you'd like to have prayer for whether it might be a healing prayer, maybe something that you're kind of battling through, whatever it might be we'll have a team of folks up here who would love to pray together with you or you can just stay where you are to pray as well and uh, we 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 have a bit of time on our hands. I think there's still coffee. If you want to hang around for a cup of coffee and ask each other how your Christmas was, how your New Year's was, we invite you to do that as well. But as I close, I just want to wish you these words from 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a good week.